Okay, we're continuing in our series on the book of Proverbs. We really only have a few more weeks left. And if you remember, you know, we've been talking, defining wisdom, the central theme of Proverbs, wisdom, as skill in the art of godly living, skillful living into godliness. What does it take for us to actually build the skills of godliness? Today, we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say to families. And let me just say up front, if you are single or if you are married with no children, uh, we are not trying to exclude you in this. In fact, you are a valuable member of God's family. I want you to hear me say that really clearly. If you are single, the Bible speaks highly of your singleness. You have a unique place and role to play in God's kingdom. So we hope you don't feel excluded, but we're going to talk specifically about what Proverbs says to families. And I want you to stay with me, even if you are single, because I think there's some good stuff in here even for you. You know, during the pandemic, I think one of the things that probably most families have said has been a real benefit is simply the extra time that you've gotten to spend, (laughs) that you've had to spend with your family. Kind of asking that question, you know, who who are we going to do life with when it really comes down and when really the the rubber meets the road, who are the people we're going to do life with? And the answer is these people, the people that you have to close your doors and stay at home with all of the time. And it's a great reminder, isn't it, that in the midst of our culture, which is consistently in utter chaos, vying with different ideologies to try and figure out what does human flourishing look like? What's the good life? What is a just and, uh, and, and, and beneficial and flourishing society look like? And you've got people defining that in so many different ways. We can define it politically. We can define it by race or gender or sexuality or ideology. And there's oftentimes just a war in all of those ideologies. Well, it's good to look at God's word and to remember that if you want human flourishing in the world, If you want to see people become who God has made them to be, a wonderful place to start is with one man and one woman and the family that they fruitfully and faithfully build together. It is, as the Bible describes, the building block of a just and godly society. So we're going to talk about what Proverbs has to say to families today, and we're going to look at it in three ways. We'll first look at spouse-to-spouse wisdom. We'll call that uh, wise wedlock. And then we'll look at wisdom of parent to child. That's wise instruction. And then we'll reverse that and look at children to parents. Uh, and we'll call that something that I just forgot. Uh, wise regard. That's what it is. Wise regard. All right. So wise wedlock, wise instruction, and wise regard. Let's look at those things now. First, wise wedlock. What does Proverbs have to say to spouses? Well, one of the great places to look actually is Proverbs 31 in the description of what a godly woman looks like. Let me read you some of these verses from Proverbs 31. You could follow along on the screen. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She rises while it is yet night, and she provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. 
She opens her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, he says. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work praise in her gate and, and let her works praise her in her gates. I don't know if you picked up on that description of this ideal woman, but she is strong, she is industrious, she is kind and gentle. She's not trying to compete with her husband, but she's actually working alongside him. She gives to those who need. She works for her family. She is arms locked beside her husband, fighting against the effects of the fall in the world. She's not wrapped up kind of in the political battle that so many of us are. I love this description of this woman in Proverbs 31. One commentator uh, titles this whole passage, The Valiant Wife. And I love how the Bible always does this for us. The picture that it gives us of the perfect woman, of the godly woman, cuts across all of our idolatries and our cultures, doesn't it? This is, not, uh, this is not the 50s woman who is just cooking and cleaning at home while her husband goes and does all of the important things. And this is not the 60s and 70s woman uh, who is, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar, and sees herself in contrast to her husband and rejects any kind of form of fem- femininity. This is not the sexual object that we oftentimes look at as women in our culture, as someone simply to be gazed at or used for personal gratification. No, the Bible actually gives us a picture that destroys all of our categories. It always does that. The Bible, in this description specifically, it cuts as hard against the modern, secular view of womanhood as it does against uh, the old, cultural, uh, conservative view of womanhood. It gives us a completely new category for how we understand what a godly woman is to be. Now, some of you women are probably already kind of feeling that, just like we did in our confession, looking at the picture and then looking at yourself and feeling like, you know, um, I don't measure up to that. When I see this picture, all I feel is guilt. When I hear that description, all I think is there's no way I could kind of meet that lofty standard. And so there's no way that my husband actually could kind of get what he needs from me. In fact, maybe you're thinking, I know my husband doesn't think that about me. He tells me so. Well, let me remind you of this. God, in his infinite wisdom, in his complete control over all things that come to pass, in his total sovereignty, has given your husband you. You are exactly what God thinks your husband needs. And more than that, you are cherished by your Father in heaven. When he looks on you, this is what he sees. And men, maybe, and hopefully, if you've been paying attention, you're thinking, you know, I haven't given my wife the kind of honor she deserves. I haven't affirmed her or trusted her 
or cared for her in these ways. Well, let me remind you, now is a great time to start. Now is a great time to start. Because, you know, you actually play a part in this. You play a big role in who your wife is growing to be. Your love will actually make your wife lovelier. The word husband, if, if, you, if you look at the verb form husbandry, we use that word to talk about cultivation, don't we? That's what it means, to cultivate. And that's much of what a husband's job is to do, is to cultivate his wife so that she actually becomes more excellent, more lovely, that she looks more and more like this beautiful picture that we have in Proverbs 31. What's one way we can do that, husbands? Well, we hear it actually there. Her children rise up and they praise her and call her blessed. Why do they do that? Because they've learned it from daddy. He does the same thing. He praises her. When I read this, I'm telling you, this week it was hard because I realized how infrequently I praise my wife. Let me just ask you a penetrating question, husbands. Is your wife growing in excellence because of your love? Are you praising your wife? She needs to hear it. And she needs to hear it because, you know what, she oftentimes doesn't believe it about herself. I, maybe you've heard me tell this story before. There's this great YouTube video. It's called, You Are More Beautiful Than You Think. You can go look it up when we're finished. And it's this experiment that's been done with women. And uh, it's, they've taken a group of women. They bring them in uh, to, this, to this room. None of them know each other. And, and they've hired a forensic artist. So this is an artist, you know, that draws for the FBI. Someone will come in and describe uh, who a suspect is, and that person will draw, you know, the suspect picture based on the description. And what they have this artist do is that, that they have each of these women come in, and there's a partition between them. So the artist can't see her. He just asks her to describe herself to him. And he says, you know, tell me about your face, and what are your most prominent features, and okay, tell me about your nose, and, and your lips, and your eyes, and then he draws the description based on, or he draws the picture based on her description of herself. But they also, during this experiment, have each of these women kind of pair up with another woman, and they just spend time together, and they drink coffee together, and they go to lunch, and they get to know each other a little bit, and later on then, in the next day, they ask the woman's friend to describe her. So they bring in woman number two, and they say, okay, why don't you describe for us your new friend? What does she look like? What are her prominent features? What are her eyes and her nose like? And then they bring them all back together, and they hang the two pictures side by side. And these women come up, and they look at these pictures of themselves, and they look at the first one that's the description that they've been given, and they say, you know, this woman just looks sad and kind of closed off, and not very attractive. But they look at the picture next to them, the one that their friend has described of them, and they use words like, she looks open and welcoming. This looks like somebody I'd want to be friends with. She looks beautiful. Do you know, we have a hard time as human beings, and this applies to women as well as it does to men, believing what God says about us. Because when we open up God's word, what we see is that he cherishes us. He thinks you are beautiful, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. 
He has made you beautiful. He has loved you into loveliness. And that is who God sees us to be. And husbands especially. We get to speak those beautiful words, that picture to our wives, to build them up, to praise them, to encourage them, to remind them of who they really are. Because they oftentimes forget. So, husbands and wives, wise wedlock, so much of it is in building each other up, affirming, praising, and encouraging one another in who God actually says you are. All right, let's move to the second point, wise instruction. This is for parents and children. Listen to Proverbs 22, 6 and 15. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Superhero movies are pretty big in our culture these days. A lot of people love superhero movies. I love superhero movies. They're fun. They're a big piece of our family. Uh, But superhero movies, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody, uh, they pretty much all share the same plot, which is it starts and you open up and there's this kind of weakling who's really a nobody and he's probably getting beat up. And then sometime in the first, you know, 20 minutes, he recognizes that he's got special powers or, you know, he gets bitten by, you know, a weird animal or delivered something from an alien. And he becomes kind of the superhero. And then at the end of the movie, he defeats the bad guys who probably all have their backstory as well. And everything is happy and great and wonderful. And there's also this little piece of every superhero movie that we oftentimes overlook. It's the training sequence. Right? It's the way that the superhero builds his superhero powers into really fighting the bad guys. And because training is kind of boring, this is what the filmmakers do, is they, they squeeze it all together just in a couple of minutes, and they give you these little fast clips, and they play a nice song along with it. It's called a musical montage. It's a thing. And, uh, you know, it's like the filmmaker is saying, listen, we know that he's got to do the training because the training really makes him strong to do the fighting. But we also know the training's really boring, so we're just going to kind of split it up really quick, fast forward. You know, we'll give you this nice little song to distract you from what's really going on. And then we'll get back to all of the fighting and punching and saving of the world. And they're right. Training's boring. It's super boring. We want to see the exciting stuff. You want to turn on the TV and watch LeBron James score 60 points, but you don't want to watch him shoot 300 jumpers before the game because that's boring. But the truth is, it's the training that matters. And as parents, that's a really, really important word. Proverbs says that parents have not only the wonderful uh, joy, but the responsibility of training their children in godliness. This really runs contrary to the two ways that are most prevalent in parenting in our society. You've kind of got the first thing, which is the live and let live approach to parenting, which basically is, you know, I'll have this child and I'm going to love him and care for him and give him everything he needs. But really, when it's time for him to make decisions, he's on his own for that. And I'm going to give him some options, of course, but I'll never push him in one direction. He's going to make his own choices. He's going to do his own thing. He's going to find out his own truth and he's going to pursue that truth. That's total hogwash. It doesn't work at all. Because um, newsflash, children aren't that great at directing themselves. Proverbs says this, right, is that the, the heart of a child is actually bent toward foolishness. 
The Bible says this all through, that there is something in your children, and by the way, in you, that is bent toward selfishness and autonomy and unrighteousness. It's called sin. And so if you want to see your child grow in godliness, then the live and let live approach is just not going to work because our children, if we just let them go, they will default to the idols of the culture. They will follow the American dream. They will follow the idol of consumerism. They will follow the idol of self-gratification. They will not, on their own, follow Jesus. Unless, of course, Jesus does something amazing, which he does a lot. But the first strategy is not a very good strategy. The second, the second is really equally as bad, and it's kind of the opposite. It's helicopter parenting. You know what I'm talking about, right? Helicopter parenting uh, are the parents that hover over their children all of the time, and they hover over them with this kind of weird mix of control and, and ultra safeguarding. I want to always be around. I, always wanna, I want to always see what you're doing. I want to always make sure that everything is okay. This feels like a uniquely American problem. Actually, it's all over the world. <laughs> the Scandinavians call this curling parenting. Curling is that, you know, that weird sport that's kind of like shuffleboard on ice? You've seen it. It's, it's on the Winter Olympics whenever there's no exciting sports, um, and they've got to show something. They show curling. And it's those guys, they, they, they push like some, some really heavy stone along the ice, but it's a team sport. And so they've got these teammates that, that skate along in front of it, and they're, they're frantically sweeping in front of the, sweeping the ice in front of that stone to make sure nothing's in the way so that it goes exactly where it's supposed to go. That's curling parenting, right? As parents who are always right in front of their child. Let's make sure that everything's clean and out of the way. We don't want anything to happen, you know, with these children. So we'll get it all out of the way so that they can smooth, that they can sail really smoothly right over this ice and nothing will ever happen to them. Friends, training is hard. It's going to take a lot of work and pain both for you and your children. To train your children means you're probably going to have to do some things that are hard for you, that you don't like to do, like more time talking to your children or asking them questions or teaching or leading or listening and guiding and engaging. That might be really hard for some of us. Or for some of you, it may just be really hard to say no. You have a hard time saying no to your children. For some, it might just be that it's really hard for you to see your children fail, to see your children get hurt, and so you're always out there in front of the ice moving things away so that they won't ever get hurt. I had a friend who said this to me one time, and it's really stuck. He said, you know, I could prepare the path for my children, but it's much better for me to prepare my children for the path. It is better to prepare our children for the path. That is what Proverbs is calling us to to train them. And it doesn't happen in a montage. It happens over a long number of years. It's difficult, but it's fruitful. All right, let's move to the third thing here. Wise regard. This now flips it. We're talking about children and how wisdom uh, affects how you deal with your parents. Listen to Proverbs 15. A wise son makes a glad father but a foolish man despises his mother. We are called in the Bible not to despise our parents, but actually, as the fifth commandment says, to honor our father and mother. And let me speak to the children here, and by that I mean all of you. 
because we all have parents, right, or had parents at one point, and your parents either are or were not perfect, probably not a newsflash. Some of you have great parents. Some of you have had okay parents. Some have had really terrible parents. But you know, in any of those cases, we are called actually as children to honor our parents and not despise them. To despise really means to treat lightly, to, to, see, them, to see them as below us and beneath us. And to honor means just the opposite, to give them weight, to actually give our parents some sort of weight, to care for them, to see them as worthy. So how do we do this? How do we treat them as worthy and not despise them? Well, let's look at what not to do first. Um, there, there was an article that I saw the other day in a British magazine that came out talking about um, some of the worst Mother's Day presents that mothers have gotten. So actual mothers had written in to this publication, and they had named the presents that their children had given them. Let me just, just read a few of them for you. Deodorant. Fire extinguisher. Cleaning supplies, a stick of French bread, and not, not even any butter to go with it, salad dressing, ants, that was a good one, maybe there's an ant farm coming, um, hair dye, that is really painful, screwdriver, a toilet roll, a calculator, and car parts. And then there's these Mother's Day cards. Let me show you some Mother's Day cards that, that some, of, some mothers have received. Never send your mother a card like this, okay? Well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like someone wasn't raised properly. Or, or this one. I'm awesome. You're welcome. Happy Mother's Day to the luckiest mom. Or how about this next one? Mom, thanks for always checking up on me. And then it's, it's a picture of a phone with 24 missed calls from mom. And this one, maybe a little too honest, I, I love you more than dad. Yeah, that's probably more than I needed. And then this one, mom, I love you loads. Speaking of loads, can you do my laundry? I think these all qualify as despising your parents, okay? So if you ever see a card like this in the store, please don't purchase it. Your pastor told you. So what does it mean then to honor our parents and not despise them? How do we do that? Well, let's kind of start big. Adults, what does it mean to honor your parents? Well, I think one of the things it means is simply to thank them. Again, all of us have had parents that have probably done some good things for us and probably done some terrible things for us, or at least some difficult things. You know, it's helpful simply to find those good things and thank your parents for them. Thank them for the good things that they have done for you and continue to do for you. If you have Christian parents, imitate them. Train up your children in the way that they should go as your parents did for you. That is a fabulous way to honor them. All right, what about college students or soon-to-be college students? How do you honor your parents? Well, one way you can do that is simply by clinging to what they have taught you, clinging to actually the faith that you have learned and so once you get to college and you're able to make a lot of decisions on your own to continue to be devoted to your own personal spiritual life, to plug in to a good church and become a part of that community, that's a great way to honor your parents. How about teenagers, high school and middle school? How do we honor our parents? Well, one way is to trust them. Trust that even as crazy as it sounds, they actually know something. And they love you, and they want to give you the wisdom that they've learned. 
And so abiding by the rules that your parents have given you is honoring them even when they seem really stupid. It's also really honoring to your parents when you spend just a little bit of time with them. So we like that. How about younger kids, elementary school age kids? Well, it's honoring to your parents when you follow their rules and you don't whine and complain about it. It honors them, it honors their wisdom, and it builds wisdom in you. And then all of us, let me close with this, and if if you're single and you checked out for a while, I, I need you back now. Because all of these descriptions that we've been going over, all of these talks about family, you know, they actually are also just about the family of God. When the Bible talks about how God relates to his people, so oftentimes he talks about it in terms of family. Paul says in Galatians that if you belong to Christ, you have been adopted into God's family. We have been made his children, amazing as that is. And because we've been made his children, we've also been made brothers and sisters with one another. We're called to love one another with brotherly love and affection, like we're in a family together. Paul uses the image of marriage to talk about what Jesus has done for the church. The church is called the bride of Christ in the Bible. And Jesus has loved his bride into loveliness. He has given himself for her so that we might be united to him. Jesus, the perfect son, fully honored his father by giving his life for you. Jesus, the perfect son, honored his father and drew himself near to you by becoming the perfect older brother. Jesus, the perfect husband, has married himself to the church. And even though we are so often unfaithful, he has pledged and promised himself to us forever. And Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is training us even in godliness. He is leading us in righteousness. He's changing our hearts. Friends, this is what the Bible says about your father and your older brother and your family. This is the wisdom that we get about who we are in Christ. And it's the great place to start to see that wisdom played out in our own families. Will you pray with me? Father, what a pleasure it is to call you Father, to know that we are adopted into your family. Lord, will you show us what it means to be husbands and wives, to be children and parents, to be brothers and sisters, to be members of your family and members of the earthly families you've placed us in. Lord, show us the humility that is needed to build wisdom. Show us the grace and the love and the sacrifice that is needed to build wisdom. And Lord, go about your work of training us up in the way that we should go. Father, we we pray that we won't depart. We ask you that mercy now in Jesus' name. Amen.